702 Early Breakfast with Africa Milani. Live, online, smartphones, the 702 app, DSTV channel 856, 92.7 and 106 FM. Seven minutes it is past five o'clock. A reminder that the World Health Organization a few hours ago, anticipating that that number of people dead following those multiple earthquakes in the Middle East, uh, focusing sadly on Turkey and Syria, could climb as high as 20,000. But now 4,300 people, more than that, confirmed dead and thousands more injured, according to officials in both Turkey and Syria. Japan is the latest of the countries to send disaster relief rescue teams. In response to that earthquake, the um, Japanese Ministry of Foreign Affairs um, writing a statement reading upon the request of the government of Turkey and in light of humanitarian perspectives and Japan's friendship relations with Turkey, Japan has decided to provide this emergency assistance to Turkey to meet its humanitarian needs. The disaster relief rescue team departing for Turkey uh, a few hours ago to support search and rescue operations. Well, the gift of the givers is the organization that responds to emergencies of this nature and they're getting ready to jet off to the Middle East and joining me on the line is a founder of the foundation, Dr. Imtiaz Suleiman. Imtiaz, a very good morning and welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning, Africa. Thank you. It really, really looks uh, devastation, does it not? I mean, 4,300 people confirmed dead in 24 hours. Those numbers expected, unfortunately, to rise in the coming hours. The rise is going to be exponential. But that type of earthquake that causes major havoc, when you have 500 buildings caught up in one area, dropping, there's 10 cities, and that's talking only about Turkey, the multiple damage in Syria. Collectively, the numbers are going to be very, very high. It's one of the largest earthquakes we've had since 1939. It also reminds me of the earthquake that took place in Pakistan in October 8, 2005, where our teams were... You know, it, it's, it's going to be sad. And the other thing that's going to add to the, to the death toll is the cold. The people are going to be hypothermic if they're bleeding, caught up in the rubble. The cold weather is not going to give them a chance. Yeah, that freezing cold, snow in parts of uh, uh, the areas affected, as well as rain, certainly hampering, of course, those rescue efforts. Well, you received a call from the Turkish government. Um, what uh, sort of mission are you putting together, MTS, uh, that will be flying yeah. off to Turkey later today? Right, there's two parts to it. One is, you know, the Syria part, we are already there, you know, because we, we run the, one of the largest hospitals in the region in a place called Darkush. We established in 2012. We've got 320 medical personnel there. We have six buildings and we have a backup hospital. So on yesterday morning at four o'clock when the earthquake happened, soon thereafter, they started bringing casualties to our hospital. And then unfortunately, 35 deceased came and close to 200 injured. We opened a second hospital that was on standby. So we have a full team on the Syrian side. We will be sending more medical supplies and medical equipment according to their needs. But they said the need is really, really huge. And of course, it's a country that's at war. Economy hasn't been functioning, so there's not many resources. So the death toll probably is going to be very, very high in Syria. But the, the, the only difference is they don't have the amount of buildings that Turkey has. Turkey has high-rise buildings very close together. The area affected, there's, there's 15 million people affected in Turkey in those, 10, in those 10 areas, of which we think 3 million are somehow caught up in the rubble, if not more. And so on the Turkish side, there's, there's three aspects. One is we first sending search and rescue teams. The first 27 are leaving today. And then 
after that, by tomorrow, we're sending medical teams under the combination of 35 medical teams, members. If necessary, the third day, we will get more search and rescue teams and more medical teams. Those are the two parts. And the third part is to buy supplies in Turkey. We know all the supplies. We've been buying stuff from them for years, for Syria and for other disasters. So, and, and actually, that happens one this morning. Turkey should come and send me a list of items they require, which is both medical and non-medical. And from the list, it's obvious they try to set up several few hospitals. And that list, uh, MTS, is it uh, specifically what they require of you coming from South Africa? Is that a list generally shared, do you think, with many other nations who are responding, of course, to this tragedy? No, no, no. It's not specifically to be the, the Turkish ambassador. Said it to be top as one, and she just said, these are the needs of Turkey. This is what I'm getting from my government, which means it's probably, and it was in Turkish. She translated it from in English. It's probably going to all governments. And then I looked at this, I said, I said the message back, I said, this looks like it's for a field hospital. Because it's like chairs, desk, different types of furniture, trolleys. And then you walk out, these are all things for hospital. And she said, yes, they're trying to set up field hospitals. Because Turkey is very good at setting up field hospitals. But the fact that they've asked equipment for field hospitals and tents, it means they've been decimated. Hello? Oh, sorry. I, I, sorry, I thought I'd lost you there for a second, MTS. Yeah, no, I, 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 the fact that they asked for field hospitals, they decimated, you know, because they're quite adept at setting up field hospitals. Yeah. Because all that stuff is manufactured in Turkey. They've got everything. Medicines, equipment, tents, the construction guys. So it, it looks like they're really badly hit. And first it was six cities, now it's ten cities. There's 15 million people affected, you know, in, the, in those areas alone. It may be more because they can't get to all the people given the bad weather. Yeah. It must be difficult. I mean, I suppose you're doing it in Syria already where you have an existing um, temporary hospital and you'll be building a secondary one in order to respond to the demands no, 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 in no, Syria. Sorry. It's not a temporary hospital. It's a permanent hospital. It's set up in 2012. We have five buildings in that hospital. It's a fully functioning hospital that sees 25,000 patients a month. But we had a spare one because of the war for emergency evacuation. We set up, in fact, the Turkish Red Crescent gave us that one. It was also a temporary field hospital. And then the first year, the, the cold hit us, hit us in Syria, and the snow was falling on the top and bringing the, the roof sort of down. Mm. So we changed it to a permanent hospital, but it was on the Turkish border. And we said if bombing becomes too intense on where the main hospital is, we will move all the patients to the other side. And then we did this, we, what we did is patients who were recuperating on the main hospital, we moved them to this hospital to have extra space. And then, of course, the war sort of settled and there was not much more fighting. And so we shut it down. And again, yesterday, when we saw the casualties coming, we immediately sent teams there, reopened the hospital, and we know that both hospitals are not going to be enough. I suppose what I want to speak to are the challenges that you then need to overcome when you go into Turkey in this case, where, as you say, high-rise building has been um, uh, literally uh, rubbled uh, to to the ground and people will, uh, and sadly bodies in some cases, will be brought to this temporary hospital. How do you function a temporary hospital in a space that is an epicenter of a natural disaster? It's not something we haven't done before. No, we've done it in Haiti, we've done it in Nepal, we've done it in Pakistan. You just got to make sure that the building you have, you have easy access, you know, and if there's still a lot of aftershocks, we don't stay inside the building, we stay outside. 
but we've got a challenge because the temperature is minus five degrees. So that's something we have to look at when we get there on site. We, we have to adapt and get the job done. Whilst we're staying in Nepal, the tremors were coming in a huge way. Here, they didn't only have a tremor, they had a second earthquake. Uh, the first one was 7.8, the second one was 7.5, a huge death, by no, that's a huge earthquake by any st- standards. And that was a second earthquake, not even a tremor. Up till last night, they'd already had close to 130 tremors. So yes, it is a big risk, but it's something the teams know how to deal with. To me, besides the tremors, the minus five degrees is going to be a problem. You know, that's very, very cold. And and the, the other thing is how to move into the buildings because of the snow and cut to the road. But I think by the time our, time our teams get there, hopefully there'll be a slight, the weather will slightly let up. I'm not sure, you know, but anything is possible. Even if that doesn't happen, we will have to find a way. It's not something we haven't done before. And it goes without saying, you'll be staying on the ground for as long as you are needed. No, you know, yes, if I send different teams, not the same team. Because when you see that type of emotional crisis, when you see that type of emotions in so many people, it can affect your teams. Some teams last only three days, some last five. Those who make it to seven have done well. That's going to be the first challenge, the amount of bodies that come out, to see the human suffering. But the third thing that I'm worried about, as I keep repeating, is how long we're going to be able to stand the cold. Because that's the challenge to me, because we don't live in that kind of temperature normally. So that's going to be a big challenge. I'm also contemplating whether we should take the dogs or not, and I'm not sure they're going to survive in that kind of weather. So I'll discuss with people who are dog handlers, who are specialists in, in, in dogs, and to ask, do you think the dogs will survive in this kind of weather? Mm-hmm. If they can, dogs would be a huge, huge asset in that quick situation. Well, we certainly wish you and your teams all the best, MTS. Thank you very much for availing yourself this morning. Dr. MTS Suleiman, the founder of the Gift of the Givers Foundation, uh, operations in Syria already um, under, um, I suppose, quite a bit of strain as far as uh, demand on services are concerned, necessitating necessitating uh, an ex- uh, a reopening of a temporary hospital. There is a permanent one already operated by Gift of the Givers in Syria. And, of course, they'll be going to uh, Turkey in teams to respond to the needs there. We certainly wish them all the best. For more about 702, go to 702.co.za.